Welcome to Cookieless. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. This is a podcast where we sit down with marketing leaders to learn about the strategies and tactics they are using for acquisition and retention in a world without cookies. As always, today's podcast is brought to you by Surf Giveaways, the enterprise giveaway platform that has worked with brands like Amazon Prime Gaming, MLS, UFC, Electronic Arts, Bud Light, and Surf Giveaways helps you hit the objectives that matter most to you. Whether you're looking to grow on social or collect customer data like phone numbers and emails, our dedicated team of experts is here to help. With auto-generated sweepstakes and rules in over 60 regions around the globe, we help you mitigate risk and reduce liability exposure at zero cost. Check out the link down below to learn more or book a free no-commitment exploratory call. And now, on to today's interview. Before we dive into all things user evidence, I was wondering if you could just give me a little bit of your background. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, I'd be like, this guy can't make up his mind and he doesn't really know what he wants to do in marketing. And I always tell people, you're right to assume that. But when you actually ask me for the story, you'll learn that I've tried to do different stints in B2B marketing functions very intentionally to round out how I think about B2B marketing. So in some ways, I've already created like a mini MBA uh, for myself. Uh, I don't think MBAs are useful for what I want to do, but I've done stints in digital marketing, marketing operations, demand gen, growth, product marketing, content, you name it, which has led me to where I am right now as a VP of marketing at User Evidence. It must come in handy though, because you can speak to all the, you can speak the language of all the people on the team, right? Like I think of like the director, James Cameron, is often credited as being someone who can do everyone's job on the team better than they can. So he can tell you exactly what he wants because he's done every single position. The, the- That's probably the first and last time that James Cameron and my name will be mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> but like, yes, you got it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So like, how do you think that beyond like just speaking to the team, like how has that benefited you in the role as VP today, having kind of this background with a little bit of every part of the marketing? Yeah, I think so many people feel like they have to choose to pass. It's... You know, well, maybe not even choose to pass, but there's this focus on, you know, become an expert in something and specialize in something and niche down. And yeah, you can definitely do that and have a fulfilling career if that's what you're interested in. But I've intentionally gone the generalist route because I like the variety. And I think for me as a leader, like you have to really know everything that's going on from a marketing perspective. So whether it's agencies that I'm working with or freelancers that I'm working with, I really know what I want and how to work with them. Now I can talk at probably, I would say like a, I used college courses as an example. I could probably talk at like a 201, maybe 301 level on most things. I'm never going to be able to get to like the 401 level or, you know, 501 doctorate level (laughs) type thing in marketing. But I think it helps me build credibility and trust with whoever I'm working with because they know that I've, I've done the work that they're doing right now and I can speak the same language as them. To your point, like there's a path of like becoming the expert, but there's also the path yep. of skill stacking, right? Yep. Like you might not be an expert in this one thing, but you may be the only person in your industry that has every single one of these skills in his skill stack and like sets you apart in a different way. Wish I could take credit for for thinking that when I first started out this little mini marketing MBA that I created for myself. But yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then so when did you join user evidence? So I joined user evidence. This would have been last July. So I've been here coming up on seven months and it feels like I've been here a lot longer in a good way, but uh, it's crazy. I've only been here seven months. What was that dream to user evidence as a company? A couple things. I think the first thing was really the CEO and the, the leadership. So I was very intentional with my search last spring. I did a whole lot of homework on Evan, my boss and the CEO. 
met with people who had worked with him or knew him before. So it was really, really important to work for a CEO who I admire and respect. And then how he thinks about marketing, even though he's not a marketer, is totally on the same page with how I want to build this marketing function out. So he realizes, you know, some of the things that really pay off in the long run aren't always things that you can quantify in the short term. That's not to say that I don't have to quantify a lot of marketing's work and really impact, but he's aware that, you know, some of the best things for the the company and the the brand really aren't always quantifiable and you have to trust your gut and use qualitative feedback. And I think that was music to my ears throughout the interview process. And then I would say the other big thing is just the problem. Like I've lived the problem before and I feel like, you know, going back to my time at a company called Metadata, that was the first time that I'd ever marketed a product that solved a problem that I had experienced myself firsthand and struggled with. So it really drew me to user evidence because I had dealt with the same problem pretty much throughout my entire career. And I feel like I can do such better marketing when I've experienced the problem before and it's personal. There's a level of authenticity that comes with that marketing versus if you're just marketing a product you you not necessarily don't believe, but that like, you haven't had as a problem in your own life. Exactly. I mean, I worked at two companies where I was marketing into data scientists and then marketing into some mechanical engineers. I am neither of those two things. And I can confidently tell you that that was the worst marketing that I'd ever done before because it was just too technical for me. And so before we go any further, for those who are listening to this that have never heard of user evidence, what do you guys do? The simplest way of explaining is we help automate social proof for go-to-market teams. So if you think of buying software for the last couple of years, people have been burned so many times by vendors that overpromise and underdeliver. So what we try to do is use vendors' customer base to create verified social proof in the form of ROI data, product stats, testimonials, case studies, you name it, that are verified across the customer base and not just the cherry picked, oh, we increased ROI by 7,000%. Like no one's going to believe that. And so how, what does that look like in like practicality? Like how do you guys collect this feedback? Yeah. So right now it's entirely survey driven. So we'll work with companies and send surveys throughout the customer journey. So if you think of, you know, signing a contract, we'll trigger a survey that shows you questions about why you went with that particular company, who the alternatives were that you were evaluating, how you think you're going to measure success. We'll send another survey once you wrap up the onboarding process to learn, you know, what went well, what could we improve from a CS perspective. We'll send surveys after you have like big milestone moments, uh, you know, after you launched, you know, something or sent something out or whatever the customer's product may be and start to figure out, all right, what's the performance lift that that particular customer has seen using said product. And then the goal is to do this throughout the entire customer journey instead of the mad dash at the end, which is, you know, hey, the G2 review period is two weeks away. We don't have nearly as many reviews. Let's go annoy the same list of customers that we always ask for reviews for, or, hey, we're short on our case study goal for the the quarter. Go annoy CS and see if you can get introduced to customers that are happy right now and are willing to go on the record. Uh, And we're doing this in an always on way so that it's happening in the background and uh, you don't have to worry about the headache, uh, sorry, the headaches and the chaos uh, when you are behind the eight ball, whatever goal you're working towards. And when it's running behind the scenes and it's automated, is there like certain triggers that will that will happen? Like when it does send out, like I know you said maybe they had like a yeah. month or something, and then yeah. is there ways to set it up so it automatically sends out during those periods? Or if you see the customer having a good time, you can send it manually. Like how does that work in the back end without you really being involved? Yeah, so we're actually building this playbook right now, and we're calling it 
we hate to say, you know, eating dog food because dog food's gross. It's for dogs. We're calling it the champagne campaign and drinking our own champagne. So what we're doing right now is we're really creating the playbook for all of this using uh, our own product with HubSpot. So we use HubSpot for marketing automation and CRM. And we are showing people how to trigger those survey sends throughout the customer journey based on different fields, uh, different moments, you name it. Um, you can send user evidence surveys pretty much anywhere. You can include a link. So that can be in-app, that can be in emails, that can be in Xenoblast, you name it. So there's a manual way to do it right now, but we're really trying to show people how to do it in a automated, always-on way that gets you what you need without you know frantically running around all the time. And once a brand has they've sent out these surveys and gathered the feedback, what's the best way to use that feedback? Because there's one thing to get it all in, but then it's using it in the mm-hmm. most effective way. Yeah. So I think there's there's two things that come to mind first. There's the positive feedback, which is what you want to share with, you know, your sales team and your your customer success team, whatever it is. So you'll get all of the survey responses. You can customize the questions that you're asking in each of these surveys. And in user evidence, you get to review the individual responses, and then you get to review kind of the aggregate responses to some of these multiple choice questions. And you get to curate really the most positive things that you want to share with your go-to-market team, and then push it to what we call the research library. So think of it as your social library, social proof library of all the different asset types that you can create. We can also push those to uh, sales enablement platforms like Seismic, Highspot, Showpad, you name it. So we're living in tools that you're sellers and CS uh, teams are already using. And then the other thing, which is just as important for us, is really the the not so positive or maybe negative feedback, because that's just as valuable for you know product and product marketing and internal functions that need to you know improve on certain things that they're doing. So it's not just collecting positive stuff and only highlighting that. It's also surfacing the stuff that might not be going as well so that teams, internal teams who don't always have direct access to customers are still getting very valuable customer feedback that can help them iterate or improve on whatever they're working on. How do you intake that negative feedback, like parse through it properly? Like not to bring it back to James Cameron, I've been reading up on him lately, which is wild to the top of mind. <laughs> but he has this quote where he says like, um, audience feedback is like, is a, is a tool like a bandsaw. It can be really helpful, but you can also cut your hand off with it. Yep. And so how do you parse through negative feedback to figure out what are the actual sources of truth once you actually to improve on your product? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say how I do this myself is I don't look for or take action on every single piece of negative feedback. And I do that very intentionally because if you do that, you're probably just going to get stuck chasing your tail, chasing all these different directions, and you don't really know what you should and should not be focusing on. So instead, what I do is I wait to see if some things that are being mentioned come up, you know, a second time or a third time. And once I can see that, all right, this isn't just an isolated, you know, incident and more people are feeling the same way, then you start to realize, okay, this is a a bigger theme that we probably need to focus on. So it's a little manual, um, but I think if you always are listening to every piece of negative feedback, you know, you're probably not going to be prioritizing the right things. And then most importantly, look at where that feedback's coming from. Is it your ICP at the end of the day? Is it your you know core user of your, your product? If it is, then great. Definitely double down on that. If it's someone who you know maybe isn't in your ICP or maybe 
you know, uses the product from time to time, or maybe someone who just had a bad day and wanted to give you negative feedback, then I don't weigh it nearly as much. And with creating the surveys, and you can create the questions manually, you said, mm-hmm. what have you seen, like what makes an effective survey question? Because I feel like the types of questions you ask are going to dramatically differ the type of responses you'll be getting. Shameless plug. We're going to publish a blog, a long form blog in probably about a week that's survey designed best practices. So <laughs> basically what it is, is it's looking at, you know, our VP of CS, who's got a ton of experience in this area. And then what our two co-founders uh, have to say as well in this. I think for me, what I've tried to do with our user evidence surveys that I've sent is a couple things. One, make sure that the types of questions that you're asking are relevant to where they are in their journey. If you're going to ask somebody who bought, you know, two years ago, why'd you buy user evidence? They probably can't even remember what they ate for, you know, lunch or breakfast, you know, last week, let alone why they bought two years ago. So making sure that the questions that you're asking are relevant to where they are. Um, the other thing is, you know, thinking through, okay, what do you want to do with the outputs of this survey and those insights? If you're just asking questions for the sake of asking questions, you're probably not going to create anything really useful or meaningful. So what I try to do is I try to back into, all right, if I'm going to make some claims in our messaging, what are the proof points that I need to be able to validate and back up, you know, the claims that I'm making in whatever message it may be. So I try to reverse engineer it a little bit. And then also the the other thing is just length, like make sure you're not asking for, you know, 15 plus questions in this. People will look at that and tune out. We have the data to to back that up too. So I like to try and include, you know, somewhere in the range of, you know, I would say five to 20, 10 questions max. Uh, there isn't like a dead, like set magical number, but you can kind of uh, pick and choose how many to ask based on how much time it takes to answer each question too. Because if your survey is going to take way too long for somebody to fill out, they're not going to fill it out and they're going to skip it. Do you have any case studies or anything that show kind of the value of having customer testimonials on your site that you guys have generated or anything like that? Because like, I'm just thinking from the perspective of someone listening to this, it's like yeah. um, a user feedback to improve the product perspective. I can see that, but maybe from a marketing perspective, it's like how much is a new testimonial going to benefit my marketing? Like, do you have any case mm-hmm. studies of brands you worked with who have seen a ton of success from that angle? Yeah. So we're actually going to be publishing some original research content later this spring that addresses that exact topic and really the the impact of social proof and having it and not having it and how it makes life more difficult for your sales team. So what we are trying to do is prove out using our own survey data, like the impact of having social proof and framing it in a way that the C-suite actually cares about it because if you just talk about, you know, hey, we automate social proof for, you know, B2B marketing teams, the end like users who have to do this every day, yes, it makes their life easier, but social proof is not a, a C-level exec problem. Not having enough pipeline and not converting enough pipeline definitely will get an exec's attention. So uh, yes, be on the lookout, I'd say probably two, two and a half months from now, but we're going to publish uh, our first piece of original research content that hits on that point um, pretty heavily. And one thing you said earlier was mm-hmm. when you joined User Evidence, part of it was like an alignment of how you'd like to set up kind of the marketing department and run it with the CEO. Yep. Can you kind of walk me through a little bit of what that looks like? Like, how are you trying to set up marketing for, for yourself? You're helping other companies yeah. collect user feedback and stuff, but how are you going about marketing right now? Yeah. So I, I pulled a lot from my experience from my previous company, so Metadata. So we really focused 
heavily on demand gen in the early days. And it's easy to want to focus on demand gen because it's quantifiable. There's that short-term impact and validation. And you can, you know, generate, if done well, some interest and create some short-term impact for you. Now, what I tried to be very vocal about at Metadata and my then boss and, and really the CEO are like, yeah, I don't really think that's that important right now was, was product marketing. And we kicked the product marketing can down the road way too long. And by the time that we, you know, I finally got approval to hire for a product marketer, there was so much product marketing debt that we had already accumulated. And it was just really like unfixable, uh, if you will, because the team had gotten so large Sales was saying one thing, CS was saying another, marketing was saying one thing, and it's kind of the wild west. So what I did during the final interview, when I had a, a 90 minute working session with the two co-founders, which just propose, hey, these are the things that I don't want to do in my first six months. And then here are the things that I want to focus on. So the first thing was product marketing that I want to focus on. The second thing was content marketing. And then once I have those two kind of foundational like building blocks in place, then I thought it made sense to focus more on demand gen and generating pipeline because you have the story, you've got the solid foundational elements in place, and then you've got the content to prove it all out and build trust you know, with your audience and buyers. Demand gen is so much easier when you have those two things. When you do not have those two things, you're just trying to math your way out of a pipeline problem. It's like there's a, there's a rabbit hole people could dive down once you've done spent those first six months creating all that content and telling that story that yep. they don't just come to a landing page and you're just hoping they convert somehow like from that one landing page where you're selling them um because yeah people buy at the end of the day people connect with people and they connect with stories more than just facts and numbers so well and like, like it's a i'm looking down at what i'm wearing right now like it's not like a you know a pair of joggers or a hoodie that you're buying for you know a hundred bucks or whatever the price is you're buying software that's not your money it's you know maybe 20k, maybe 50k, maybe 100k. You're not just going to go to a landing page and buy it on a whim, and put it in your shopping cart, and go buy. If you do, you're crazy. I'm sorry, and you're probably putting your neck on the line from getting, you know, uh, a hard conversation with <laughs> your boss or you know the CFO, whatever it may be. So you really just have to think through, you know, what goes into building trust with your audience, and how do you do that from a marketing perspective? Uh, and it takes intentionality it takes a little bit of time and it takes repetition but i think the more that you can do that um, then when people are you know in market or you know maybe they're out of market they know who they're going to buy because you've already built that relationship with them and you guys so you're targeting it's b2b SaaS companies for the most part so it's exclusively b2b companies i would say primarily b2b SaaS. there's a couple other industries that we're uh kind of experimenting with right now i'd say on the low end somewhere in the range of maybe 250 to 300 employees on the high end, small enterprise, so maybe a couple thousand. Um, one of the things that really is important to us is how many end users you have of your product, specifically for survey response rates. So it is critical that you have at least 500 end users of your product or else it just doesn't make sense for us. And then in terms of the types of functions that we are trying to sell into, so we had a light bulb moment this past fall and what happened was we realized we were only really talking with customer marketers and customer marketers unfortunately were one of the first marketing functions to feel you know budget cuts and layoffs over the last couple of years uh, for a variety of reasons um, and our value prop really landed with them but we also realized there are so many other 
functions that can create content with user evidence and then also benefit from user evidence content. So we're really focusing on product marketers, I'd say, in that creator realm, uh, in addition to sales enablement managers and really just marketing leaders. And then consumers of that content really starts with the sales team, because if the marketing team is creating all of these assets and the sales team is not aware of them or not using them, people are never going to renew their user evidence contract. So we're trying to figure out the way to market to all these different types of personas with different value props, because they can all use and experience our product in different ways. People want to learn more about user evidence. Where can they go? Uh, feel free to come to the website. It's my little baby that I'm continually working on every single day. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and uh, I try to respond to DMs as quickly as I can. Awesome. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. I just want to thank you so much for taking time to come to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me and uh, comparing me to James Cameron. That's never happened before.